Business owners are cluing into the fact that Bitcoin is here to stay, but its adoption is only about where internet adoption was in the mid-90s. In other words, there's still a ton of upside and opportunity. If you want to learn how other business owners and entrepreneurs are using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses so that you can too, stick around at the end of this episode to hear the trailer for my newest podcast, Business Bitcoinization. And now, on to today's episode. You're listening to the Life as Leadership Podcast. Are you looking for motivation and encouragement on your path to becoming a better leader? If so, you've come to the right place. Keep listening to find a community of leaders committed to learning and taking action to improve their world. The Life as Leadership Podcast, where leaders gather to grow together. Here's your host, Josh Friedemann. Welcome to the show today. In just a few minutes, we're going to be hearing from Lizzie Ingley, who is going to be sharing about her nonprofit Maker Girl. Maker Girl is focused on encouraging STEM education among young girls. In college, she was inspired by two questions, which are, who are you and what bothers you? She shares her answer to both of these and more in this interview. Joining me in the studio this week to listen to and discuss the interview are my friends and fellow leaders, Cody Coleman, Elijah Friedman, and Molly Bowser. How are y'all doing? Doing good. Doing well. It's good to yeah. see you, man. So, since we're talking about education, kids, sciencey stuff, this is my question for you today. What was the coolest sciencey toy that you had growing up, or maybe that you wish you had growing up? It was definitely a yo-yo. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I rather enjoy playing with yo-yos myself, and there's actually some really cool physical aspects to a yo-yo using the conservation of angular momentum. And stuff like that. That's Basically. how you win friends, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, I don't know. I've got a degree in, in math, so it, it just all kind of played together when I started realizing that yo-yos were a bit more than just a spinny thing, you know. So does your math background give you a leg up? Uh, I don't think so. It just is a really cool way to explain what a yo-yo does. Sure. Um, so it's it's pretty neat. Well, I can say, having seen you yo-yo before, that you are, you still keep it up. You're You're pretty good at it. Yeah, I, I don't know that I'm I'm great, but I know a couple tricks. So. <laughs> Molly, how about you? Uh, there's this thing called a Hoberman sphere, and it's I don't have any fancy mathematical terms to say why I like it. I just think it's really colorful, and you open up, you can open and close it. And my sister, she had one when I was a kid, and during nap times, I would steal it and play with it for hours when I was supposed to be, you know, taking a nap. But instead, I would just play with this toy. And I just thought it was so cool. Elijah. This is incredibly primitive compared to what these guys just shared. But it, it, one thing I remember is this little rocket we had, but it was powered by air that you, you jump on this pad and propel the rocket up. And that was just the coolest thing as a kid. You'd get a solid 30, 40 feet up in the air if you got a solid jump on it. Mm. And that was incredible. You felt powerful. Nice. Well, Lizzie's going to be sharing with us in just a minute. And uh, I think that she has a lot of great insight to share as a young leader and a co-founder of a nonprofit. Lizzie is an activist, creative, and lifelong learner in the corporate and social impact communities. She is the co-founder and executive director of Maker Girl, which is a 501c3 that has educated over 3,000 girls in STEM. And she uses her nonprofit knowledge at LinkedIn as a nonprofit account executive. She's a member of Park Community Church, where she serves in the children's ministry, and she also enjoys staying active and baking. Her passion for technology stems from how she's witnessed its capability to bring people together for economic opportunity, as well as building and supporting visionary companies. Here is Lizzie. Lizzie, welcome to the show today. Thank you, Josh. And um, one 
slight adjustment that I should have made is that I co-founded Maker Girl with Julia Harriet. Awesome. Well, before we get into talking about Maker Girl, which is where I want to spend most of our time today, I wanted to spend a few minutes talking to you about your day job at LinkedIn. What is it that you do and how did you find that particular job? Yeah. So in my um, day-to-day work at LinkedIn, I consult nonprofits on using LinkedIn most effectively for recruiting, marketing, and fundraising. So we have B2B tools that help nonprofits, for example, if they need to gain more corporate sponsors, they could build a LinkedIn list to find everyone to be able to find those folks. So I'm able to do that. And the way that I found this role is really through just sharing my passion for my own nonprofit Maker Girl to various constituents at LinkedIn and leaders. For example, when I would talk to leadership or managers about who I am as a person, of course, Maker Girl always came up. And I was fortunate in that when I was um, getting ready to move into my next play, which is the next role here at LinkedIn and what we call that, they thought of me because they were building this brand new nonprofit team. And of course, I was a natural fit, um, just given my knowledge from building Maker Girl. So what are some tips or hacks for making the most of LinkedIn as a young professional or someone looking for a job? Because I think there are a lot of people that have LinkedIn, and when I'm on there, I see people that seem to know how to use it well, but I don't feel like I'm particularly well-versed in the art of LinkedIn. Any tips? Yeah, so that is something that I learned very early on in my college career because someone gave me the advice of when I'm looking for my next role to think about all the companies I would want to work at and to use LinkedIn to find that company's company page. And then LinkedIn will show you any alumni that work at that organization. So then I would use LinkedIn to connect with those alumni, start a conversation that way, since typically alumni want to give back to younger students and potentially get a referral or network my way in that way. As well, I think just consistently posting about the work that you're doing, whether it be a passion project like Maker Girl or like volunteering at your church, and then also sharing what your friends are posting as well to advocate for them and show that you're passionate about what they're passionate about. Well, thanks for giving us that insight into LinkedIn, and I hope that people will be able to use it a little more effectively in the future because of of your insight. Of course. You co-founded Maker Girl in 2014. Could you give us an overview of your mission for the organization and some of the successes that you've had so far? So our mission is to educate 7- to 10-year-old girls in STEM, um, which is science, technology, engineering, and math. And the reason that I started this organization is because I wanted more women to be builders in the world. And my co-founder, Julia, saw a lack of C-suite CFOs. So she found that it's more likely to find a CFO in a Fortune 500 company that's named Jim rather than a woman, which Mm. is very surprising. And STEM is one avenue for getting women into those positions and creating more gender equity in the world. And a reason girls don't go into STEM is because they don't think it's creative, nor do they think that they can have an impact. To counteract that, through these 3D printing sessions, we show girls that STEM is creative through the design thinking process and then through having something in the palm of their hands that they can touch and feel and put on their backpack for school. Um, It really shows girls the impact that they can have even with one small 1.5 hour session. So From there, in 2014 and from Building Maker Girl, we wanted to take our sessions to more than just students at U of I, 
which we were impacting. So we funded a $32,000 Kickstarter back in 2015 to take our sessions on the road across the country. And to do that, we got our whole team involved and really just enrolled them in the possibility of taking Maker Girl to underserved girls in rural locations. So that was 2015. And then the next year, we did the mobile trip for just the Midwest. And then um, in the past couple of years, we've worked on expanding our model to Northwestern University. And then last fall was our biggest accomplishment to date. Um, we hired our first full-time CEO, Stephanie Hine, who has now done a fantastic job of expanding our reach to Harvard. And we're working on a couple more expansions as well to UT Austin, the Milwaukee School of Engineering, as well as the University of Michigan. So you mentioned adding a CEO. How does that change the, the leadership dynamics? Because you have two co-founders adding the CEO. How have you had, maybe even personally, how have you had to rethink how the organization operates with a, a few different people who have a good bit of influence in mm -hmm. the organization? Yeah, that's a great question, actually. Um, and it's been a challenge for me to figure out where I fit now into this organization. But what we hired Stephanie for is really to lead the operational strategy and be the one point person for all maker girl questions at the college campus leadership team. Okay. And then we have a university team of about 30 student volunteers. So myself and Julia work to manage Stephanie and guide her on the strategy. And then for the rest of the university student volunteers, we serve them in um, being mentors and also leaders in any capacity that we can be. So we set up 30 minute phone calls with each of them and we make it a goal to talk to them to see just how we can help them personally because we want the maker girl experience to be as much about the college student volunteers as well as the students that we're serving. And we want our college student volunteers to go into the workforce being very well prepared, very well versed in their STEM degrees as well as business. And Julia and I assist with more of that angle as well as fundraising development and media. You mentioned two things that I want to get into a little bit, the fundraising and working with volunteers. First of all, you mentioned the, the Kickstarter campaign. Anytime you're leading a nonprofit, you need to do fundraising, and it can be something that is somewhat difficult to do. So my question for you is how do you find time for this along with your other responsibilities, and what can donors expect their money to go to whenever they give to Maker Girl? Yeah, that's a great question. So I personally believe that people will make time for what is a priority for them. So Maker Girl is a priority to me, obviously. My church is a priority. Um, working out is a priority. And I, I don't think about my time being constrained. I think about what are my priorities and how am I going to make time for those this week. So I, I think that if you have a passion, you should just go for it. And if you're really excited about it, it will fall into place. Of course, it helps to have an accountability partner in anything you're doing to be able to check in and ensure that you're hitting your goals. As well, with the fundraising piece of it, one Maker Girl sponsorship is actually $20. Okay. So a portion of our funds will go to that as well as overhead, which is actually really important in any nonprofit to be able to invest back into the volunteers, invest back into the CEO so that they can 
more effectively give their time and their knowledge to Maker Girl. You mentioned also that you work with volunteers at Maker Girl. Mm-hmm. What what are the what are the roles of volunteers at Maker Girl? So our university volunteers are a critical piece of Maker Girl. They are what keep the organization afloat and they are the face of Maker Girl and they are all Maker Girls themselves as well as a few of the men on our team. So what they do is they guide the entire strategy. Um, So they do everything from social media to grant writing. They write our curriculum. And then as well, they also lead the sessions. So they lead the one and a half hour 3D printing sessions and show girls how important it is to go into STEM and open girls' eyes up to the possibility of STEM, as well as ensuring that we are getting our sessions in front of a multitude of, of diverse girls, including those at the college campuses we serve, as well, um, Make a Girl Goes Mobile, and ensuring that all of those sessions are filled and that we are on track to our goal of educating 10,000 girls by 2023. A number of people listening to this podcast are going to be the leading groups of some kind. And I'm wondering if you have any tips for them from your experience in Maker Girl Mm -hmm. with how to oversee and direct and make sure you're getting the most out of your group members, whether it be volunteers or or whoever else. So I recently heard this concept, and I think it matches what Julia and I have been doing all along. It is called Everybody Wins. So in order for an organization to succeed, every individual person has to succeed on their own level, which is why I believe mentorship is so important. So if I want to see Rachel, who is our academy's director, make the most of her role as helping us expand to Northwestern and all these other amazing universities, um, I have to ensure that Rachel wins, both as a Maker Girl director and in life as a college student, as someone that's going to go into engineering and science and make a real difference in the world. So I got really interested in every individual director's success, whether that be at the college or internship level and helping them find their next role to ensure that they feel invested in and want to give back to Maker Girl in some capacity. And I just believe having fun together, investing in, in each other as much as we can is important to show volunteers how much they really matter to us and how their impact really does drive the organization forward. And it is the make or break of how we're going to accomplish our long-term goals. Now, one of the things on Maker Girl's website that you mentioned is that there's this there's this important question that helped to form Maker Girl, and that is the question, what bothers you? Where did that question come mm-hmm. from, and why has it been so important as Maker Girl has developed into the organization that it is today? In my senior year, I realized how I loved entrepreneurship, and I um, love making a difference through various social causes. So I enrolled in social entrepreneurship, um, which was Noah Isserman's class, and he is now on our board. So there were three modules of that social entrepreneurship class. The first is, who are you? The second is, what bothers you? And the third is to create a program or product to counteract what bothers you. And um, this question is actually what started Maker Girl. And I would encourage anyone that wants to start a nonprofit or even a for-profit company to ask this question to really drive forward a product or program from your own personal motivations. Because I believe if there is a personal motivation 
or something that personally irks you and you are out to solve it, then your business is going to be way more likely to succeed. And what I realized is what bothered me is that I was on a college campus that offered limitless opportunities for both the men and women to succeed. However, I felt like in a lot of my conversations, I didn't hear of women actually building upon their ideas. I didn't see as many women in the engineering school out building upon like their next startup. And I wanted to support women. I want to show them that their ideas are something that they're capable of and overcome the stereotypes in our society today of women just being pretty or women just being a certain way and not stepping into all that women can possibly be. So you you talked just now about the question, what bothers you and why it's important. And the other question that you mentioned is, who are you? Mm-hmm. Obviously, being a woman has influenced your decision to go the maker girl route, I would say. And I guess that's maybe not exclusively true. But how has the question, who are you, influenced your work at Maker Girl? Yeah, so... Who I am is someone that is from a really small town, but I grew up with parents that are really hardworking and showed me that with effort and with relationships, you can really do anything. So that is a principle that has guided me forward in my work at LinkedIn and my work at Maker Girl in all of the projects that I'm doing outside of work, such as competing in a triathlon or working with my community group at church. Those principles, I think, are established from a young age. And I think it's important to reflect on why one thinks the way they do to challenge their own beliefs as well to be able to continually define who one wants to be going forward in the world. You've shared a little bit already about some of the lessons you've learned through the the processes of starting up Maker Girl. I'm, I'm wondering if there are any lessons that we maybe haven't talked about yet that you've learned along the way as you have helped to grow Maker Girl over these last few years. Well, so I'd say everybody wins is the first big lesson, but I would say The second is that anything can be resolved through communication. So oftentimes, because I am working with a team that is frankly going to be all over the country in the coming years, it's important to continually communicate with them. For example, sharing wins, sharing ways that we can work together and really hold people accountable. So if, for example, I see a disagreement via you know, a situation that comes up with the CEO or with my co-founder, I try to get that resolved right away through a phone call because I, I think that a lot of our burdens are actually something that can be resolved through um, a hard conversation or through just getting on the phone. Simultaneously, as easy as it is to get through hard conversations, it's important to be able to share wins with one another and build one another up through calling someone to congratulate them. And um, through that communication, I think a team can work together no matter where they're at to drive one another forward and drive the organization forward. Do you tend to do better with the hard conversations or celebrating the wins? Oh, (laughs) celebrating the wins, 100%. (laughs) Hard conversations are something I am learning and something I am seeing as really valuable to be able to get on the same page. And it's kind of like ripping a Band-Aid after you do it, it feels really good. 
um, and it's only like a few minutes, but the buildup is sometimes really tough. <laughs> I wish I could cite where I heard this from recently, but someone referred to it as a sweaty palm meeting. And I, I think sometimes when you can preface it that way, it kind of gives everyone an <laughs> expectation that it's going to be something that maybe is a little uncomfortable, but doesn't have to be something that brings out incredible amounts of fear. You just say, hey, we need a sweaty palm meeting. And that's kind of the signal yeah. We need to talk about something serious, but you know, at the end of the day, I think yeah. if you do it well and you could maybe speak to this a little bit, but if you do it well, it doesn't have to be something that is always life-changing, terrible, and definitely not relationship breaking. Right. And, um, two things there. One is I, I heard someone say like your life actually gets easier with your ability to execute hard conversations okay. So if you are willing to have more of those, you're willing, more willing to get on the same page with someone, you're more willing to trust one another because, you know, life isn't hunky-dory all the time. And if you put on that face that it is, I think the lack of trust between you and someone else is going to decrease. Sure. And number two is that, you know, I just think our, our ability to say, this is my end goal. It has nothing to do with you personally. It's all about Maker Girls succeeding and us succeeding as a team. It's it's no hard feelings between us. Uh, and I'm kind of wondering now, as we're talking about this, obviously there are some definite skills that you're teaching and introducing at Maker Girl, but are there some soft skills along the way that are kind of incorporated in, whether it's explicitly or implicitly? Because reaching out like that, being willing to um, address difficult things is is a, a huge part of being able to be effective in a workplace in life, you know? So um, I unfortunately don't get to do as many of the sessions personally, but what I think our university STEM women do teach from a soft skills perspective is really the value of being enthusiastic about learning and just through showing them that if you are confident, if you do have some level of enthusiasm, anything is possible because I've seen how our university student volunteers really show their excitement towards STEM um, and they really get deep with the girls and, and showing them how to cat an item and design it. So on that one-to-one -one level, and through building a relationship with the maker girls through the 3D printing session, they show girls how important it is to be excited about learning and be enthusiastic about trying new things and succeeding at them as well as failing at them. If, for example, like a lot of times, girls don't always leave with a 3D printed item in the palm of their hands, um, sometimes because we just don't have enough time sometimes because our printers fail, but that level of patience and through our university student women showing girls that, hey, sometimes it doesn't always work out and that's okay. Absolutely. It's just a guiding principle of like, that's how life is. <laughs> and um, failing, learning how to fail is just important as learning how to succeed. Mm, I like that. Do you have any recommendations for someone looking to start something new in the near future, whether it's a nonprofit, a business or some other venture? Yes. So my biggest recommendation, which was something that Noah also taught me, was just do it. So many times we question ourselves. We wonder whether something will work. We work out all of the little details. But the most important thing is actually to just get started. So 
I think the best question to ask is, what would this look like tomorrow and how can I get started tomorrow? Rather than thinking about the long-term picture. So, because when we were first starting Maker Girl, there were four of us all around a table saying, how are we gonna fund this? How long is a session going to be? And um, Noah actually came up to us and was like, well, why don't you just plan the first session? Mm. Like put a date on the calendar and see how it goes. Just get going. Yeah, and that was a novel idea to us business majors who wanted to (laughs) have everything so meticulously planned out. But I believe that is actually what started Maker Girl was just doing a pilot session and then taking the next appropriate step from there. What is a long-term vision for Maker Girl? Yeah, so our vision is that girls would live and dream as unstoppable forces that say yes to the challenges of the future. And what that means is a girl who looks at challenges as something that she can overcome through her own knowledge and through her resources. And beyond that, from a numbers perspective, I've mentioned this, but it is that by 2023, we would educate 10,000 girls. The last time I've checked, we've educated 3,200. So we are getting there. But to add to that, we hope that half of the girls that we serve are from underserved and rural locations like the one I grew up in, because that is where the most impact is needed, because girls don't always have access to a really cool educational opportunity like Maker Girl. And I believe that opening their eyes up and their um, brains and their hearts up to something like Maker Girl is something that can make all the difference for them to take the next step in their own educational or purpose path. Well, Lizzie, thank you so much for sharing with us today and for the work that you do. Before you go, I have a few final questions that are meant to inspire us toward better leadership. So you ready for this? Yes. All right. What is some lesson saying or experience that continues to influence your leadership to this day? The saying is do one thing every day that scares you. And I remember reading this as a child and uh, really being inspired by it because I was thinking like, what would, what would I do tomorrow if, you know, I could do a triathlon or do a half marathon. And I think um, those small steps today add up to really big wins in the future. Use three descriptors to finish this sentence. A leader is flexible, humble, and hardworking. What is a question that leaders should be asking either themselves or others? What were my wins, my failures, and what were our team wins and our team's failures this week? I like that. What book would you recommend to leaders? Hmm. There are so many good books out there. Um, One that I read last year is Shoe Dog. And it's actually by Phil Knight, the founder of Nike. By reading his story of just all of the legal work, all of the challenges and opposition he faced to build Nike and even the personal failures of what he had to overcome along the way was really inspiring. And it really shows how much grit one needs to um, build a company. If you could get every listener to start doing something this week to help them be a better leader, what would it be? Yeah, it alludes to my previous answer, but that is reflection. And I believe that if you reflect every week or even every day on your personal wins and what you wish you would have done differently, you'll be a more effective leader and more aware of um, your own strengths and weaknesses to be able to better serve those around you tomorrow. And a final arbitrary but insightful question, which is this, as a general life principle, is it better to ask why or why not? 
I feel like I previously would have said why, but now since I've learned the value of sales and learned how to do sales, it's better to ask why not because it makes you look at the world as a world of possibilities and there are so many possibilities out there for ourselves, for our teams, for our companies that we are not even aware of yet. And just simply asking why not and what is the first step I can take to achieve that possibility is immensely valuable. Well, Lizzie, thank you so much for your time today. Where can people go to find out more about what you're doing and Maker Girl? So you can go to our website, makergirl.us, or you can email me, elizabeth at makergirl.us, if you're interested in getting involved and supporting Maker Girl. We have a Barry's Bootcamp fundraiser on April 28th in Chicago as well. We have a $50,000 fundraiser coming up in the fall if you're interested in being on our planning committee or supporting us in any capacity. Um, We are always open to new ideas. Lizzie, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, thank you. You too, Josh. I enjoyed our conversation and I'm happy to help you in any way I can. I hope you found today's interview valuable. We'll be back on Friday to discuss the interview and share some of our key takeaways with you. If you want to share your own thoughts on what you heard today or leave other feedback for the show, email us at community at lifeasleadership.com. And if you think today's show could be helpful to someone else who cares about becoming a better leader, go ahead and share it with them. Until next time, keep living and leading well. Hey, thanks for checking out this trailer for the Business Bitcoinization Show. My name is Josh Friedemann, and I'll be with you each episode interviewing business owners about how they're using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses. You might be wondering about the name, and I'll get to that in just a second. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about the show and who it's for. Unless you've lived under a rock for the last decade, you've heard of Bitcoin by now. And if you're like me, you heard about it a while ago, but didn't do anything about it until the last couple of years. Then one day, for whatever reason, it finally clicks. And after that, you enter the Bitcoin rabbit hole, as they say. And the deeper you get, the more you see the value of Bitcoin. But you know, maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you don't know much about Bitcoin, but are interested in learning more. Either way, this show can help you. Each episode will introduce you to an executive or entrepreneur who's using Bitcoin, the hardest money on planet Earth, to improve their life and their business. So, what's with the name? Well, it's a play on the term hyper-Bitcoinization, which is used to describe the eventual rapid adoption of Bitcoin as other currencies get weaker and weaker in relation to it. When you compare a seemingly never-ending supply of dollars to a hard cap of 21 million Bitcoin that will ever exist, it feels like only a matter of time until hyper-Bitcoinization happens. The good news is we have the opportunity to be on the front lines of creating a new and frankly better system. Whether you're already sold on Bitcoin and it feels like I'm preaching to the choir, or you're curious to learn more, business Bitcoinization will help you understand how you and your business can be prepared to take advantage of the massive productivity and wealth that Bitcoin will enable. If business Bitcoinization sounds like a show for you, go ahead and subscribe. Obviously, you can subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using right now or go to www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. Once again, that's www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. I'm looking forward to sharing more soon. And until then, keep living and leading well.